I'm Seattle Times political reporter Jim Bruner. And I'm Seattle Times City Hall reporter Dan Beekman. Let's talk politics. Welcome to episode 113 of The Overcast, the Seattle Times news and politics podcast. This is a quick note that we're back after a bit of a hiatus. We're very sorry to all you loyal listeners out there who who ha, have been missing us over the we've past been, few been, weeks. Throngs have been coming to us on the street. We can't <laughs> demanding reveal, demanding overcast. We can't reveal all the reasons for for the hiatus, but we're back. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this week we're diving into a contentious uh, ballot measure on the November ballot. Referendum 88, about whether to allow government affirmative action programs in Washington, which have been banned for decades here. We're joined this week by Khan Chu. Uh, he's from the Let People Vote, Reject Referendum 88 campaign, which backs a no vote on the referendum, meaning affirmative action would once again be banned. Uh, and we should say up front that we plan to have someone from the other side of the debate on next week for the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Mr. Chu. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Jim. Let me first make sure that uh, you mentioned affirmative action. We, I want to make it very clear that our campaign fight against referendum ADA has nothing to do with affirmative action. We are fighting against racial discrimination and racial preferences. Okay. We're, and we're going to get into that because I know that what, ref, what Initiative 1000 does and, and how you view it and whether it sets quotas, for example, right. is part of the debate. Yeah. yeah. So I want to quickly, though, go back to how we got here for people who might not be familiar, and, you know, who are listening. So before we get into the arguments for and against this uh, referendum 88, let's let's go back a little bit for people who may not remember how we got here. In 1998, Washington voters banned affirmative action programs, which had been intended to help women and minorities gain access to public colleges, contracting and employment. It was a really hard fought campaign. And at the end of it, 58% of voters voted for Initiative 200, which uh, ended affirmative action in Washington state, ended preferential treatment based on race, sex, color, ethnicity, and national origin. And we should say that happened at the time, even though the backers of the affirmative action programs heavily outspent the opponents. So that's been the law of the land for about 20 years. But earlier this year, people who believe that there should be a role for government affirmative action programs gathered enough signatures to send Initiative 1000 to the legislature. That gave the legislature the option of passing it or sending it to the ballot, sending it to the ballot with an alternative. And to some people's surprise, the legislature, I think in one of their final acts, voted to enact it into law. So that set into mo motion opponents of it, and they gathered enough signatures for Referendum 88, which is now why we're going to be voting on it in November, and why we're having this debate today. So to be clear, a vote of yes on referendum 88 in November is a vote to maintain Initiative 1000 as the law. A vote of no is to undo the legislature's action and repeal. Now, let's talk with Mr. Chu about the case against Initiative 1000, the vote to reject uh, referendum 88. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this campaign. Oh, I'm... Um Myself, I'm I'm just a, a a resident in Bellevue, long time resident uh, since 1995. I have three kids. Uh, they're all born here, and the oldest one already went to college. And I still have two kids in Bellevue School District. And in fact, we I got involved with this started last year, 2018, and. 
with still my two kids、uh, in Bellevue School District. There were a whole bunch of、uh, activities that the Bellevue School District started. It's a program called the Racial Equity Forums, and then that started all this、uh, discussion. And then parents were、uh, involved, and then we had a concern with.、Um, The school district、uh, approach, and then as it turned out, that it has something to do with the the state level. Well, briefly, yeah, tell us about that. Tell us what was the you know in summary the the debate in the Bellevue school system, and 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 why was it similar? So Bellevue schools、uh, district introduced a, a quote unquote racial equity、uh, discussion by emphasizing. Racial, racial disparity, and then putting a whole bunch of chat and ha- having, I mean, parents to talk about this, and then it be, at some point it became became very contentious. And there, then there was a creation of a department of equity in the district, or they, the district had a department of equity, right? Right. Yeah, they claimed they had the department of equity for. The last five years, which、uh, you know, ordinary people like me, I didn't know. I mean, until last year. So,、uh, so apparently they were doing a lot of work that you know, kind of behind the scene. We don't know until recently, and then they they put out this all.、Um, yeah, it's like a they they even. I mean, the intention is they they want to have a、um, a new policy、uh, called a racial equity policy that. That's、um, that's most of uh, parents uh, actually attending the meeting,、uh, opposing that. And so, what was that policy, and why、um, why did you and other parents object to it? Well, the policy is basically it、um, it actually would、uh, basically would be treating people differently based on race and color, and then that's something that we don't like. And I mean, it's 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 against the principle, and it's also against the、uh, my interest. In in what way? And you, you know, p- part of your group group affiliation, I think, is Washington Asians for Equality. So, was there an, a sense that you had that this somehow was unfair to to Asian Americans? Yeah,、uh, I mean, as I said, first of all, is against the、uh, the principle principle that we hold very dearly that、uh, every individual should should be judged by their own character instead of their skin color. And the second is、uh, Asian American students would be targeted. And then there is a claim that、uh, that they keep claiming, you know, Asian American students are overrepresented. The word "overrepresented" is racist. Okay, and and so we probably shouldn't spend the the whole podcast talking about、uh, the Bellevue School District、right. sort of debate. But it, but it, you know, there are obviously similarities here. Some of the same issues are at play, and.、Um, Initiative 1000, which the legislature passed, as Jim mentioned last session, allows the state to implement affirmative action in public employment, education, and contracting, as long as neither quotas nor preferential treatment are used.、Uh, that's the way it's it's kind of worded, and it defines preferential treatment as choosing a less qualified candidate based solely on one characteristic, such as gender or race. So, do you disagree that it bans quotas that allows affirmative action, but bans quotas? It's trying to walk that line and and explain your position on that. So,、uh, actually, let me clarify. Like,、uh, let me、uh, reiterate again that、uh, this is not about affirmative action. This is, in fact, Initiative Two Hundred, the current law of the land, 
the Washington Civil Rights Act does not categorically ban affirmative action. Let's make make it clear here. So our our fight against Initiative 1000 is really fight against racial preferences and racial discrimination. And then we want equality for all, for regardless of your skin color. So we want to make sure that we get that straight. We're, right. we're not like a, we're not fighting against affirmative action. Affirmative action actually is a whole category, it's like including outreach, all kind of things. Those are things that we're not fighting against. So, do you believe that that uh, and is your argument that Initiative One Thousand would uh, open the door to quotas, and that's what you're concerned about? Explain that. Yes, Initiative One Thousand would allow the government to implement the quotas, and then based on race and color. And then, although it had the, on the ballot title, it keeps saying without quota, but if you have, have the time to read the details, if you read the, the, the sections, they have the sections allows the government to do the disparity study and then set a timetable and setting a goal. And then all this, in, there were court rulings that those were equivalent to quota. Yeah, it does say, it does try to set a goal, and I think that, and we're going to have the supporters of this on next week, I think, but mm-hmm. I, I think that the line they appear to be trying to walk is, you know, no individual decisions will be made solely for preferential treatment based on one protected class, but that overall there's a goal with outreach and, you know, hiring, I don't know if you call them quotas, but goals to, to achieve that. So is, is that the line you see, or do you just think that they're going, that there's actually going to be some kind of hard targets? Yeah. So here's the thing. I mean, the devil is in the details. So the law, once you allow the government to do this kind of things, to set the timetables, doing the goals, you know, and then there's, we, we don't see the boundary here. So it, once you allow that, floodgate to uh, happen and then there's no detail the implementation details like what 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 do you mean by disparity study what do you mean by the timetable i mean how how do you enforce it there there's no such text in the initiative 1000 but it does allow it's it's almost like a a blank check and you were talking about in the context of the bellevue school district debate um, you know, that uh, school district officials, I guess, and some other supporters of the, of the equity program were referring to Asian Americans in the school district as overrepresented. Uh, and, mm-hmm. the, and you were saying that's a discriminatory sort of language and, and concept. That is. The, do you think with, um, with Initiative 1000, uh, do you also believe that that, that that program or setup could also end up uh, disadvantaging Asian American uh, whether college students or contractors or whatever, is, is that part of uh, the argument? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are a bunch of evidence of that. So if you read the Seattle Times uh, editorial article in March and April, they they actually, I, I can literally read that. that basically, they, in the article, very strong portion of the article, it claimed that the Asian American students will, uh, you know, they claim there are 25% of Asian American students in the college, in, in UW. And plus, there are 16% of, of international students, most of which from China. So if they add it together, that's 41% of Asian students 
in UW. In the article, although it didn't, it probably didn't say use the word overrepresented, but you can sense the article. Okay, and then it basically, you know, lumping Asian Americans together with foreign students is it's racist. Later, after legislature passed the the initiative one thousand, the edit, there's another editorial welcome the. It's like a yeah, it's like a high five saying it's like a writing an article and then celebrating. Oh, now we are going to be able to yeah. do the editorial what board. Yeah, I think has been supportive. I think the editorial board, even going back to Initiative Two Hundred, opposed it. Of course, we should say we're not part of the editorial board. We're okay. on the news side. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask though. Um, you know, you're worried about maybe a disparate effect of this initiative on Asian Americans or an a fairness issue, I guess, from your, from your perspective. Right. But what about, you know, the fundamental argument for whether you want to call them preferences or affirmative action is that there has been historical disadvantage to some minority communities. When you, when you look back, going far back as slavery, Jim Crow laws to this day, disproportionate right. treatment right. in the criminal justice system, you know, and, and you have been quoted as saying that, this punishes hard work. Do you think that it's only hard work, a lack of hard work that is causing disproportionate treatment to some communities? No, I, so I look at it this way, you know, you're talking about slavery, that's a, like a 150 years ago, slavery. So I, I couldn't find anybody. But, 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 you, but you're aware that the, the, you know, the Jim Crow laws, segregation, right. and even to this day, you know, disproportionate so treatment has continued Jim, to some extent. Jim Crow law, that happened uh, half a century ago, right? And then, in fact, Jim Crow law is government-sanctioned discrimination. And then I actually don't see the difference between Jim Crow law and Initiative 1000. Is that truly what you believe, or or what's the nuance there, if there is some? Uh, obviously, it's it's details is different, but in the level of uh, it's all government sanctioned discrimination. Yeah, that that is in that level. That's the same. It's all the government specify which race is preferred and which race is not. But but would you say that they're given that you think they're both bad, would you say they're both bad on the same level? We don't know. I mean, Initiative 1000 has not yet been implemented yet. So Jim Crow rules were implemented. So we don't know that how this will pan out. Yeah, but there was preferential treatment or there was affirmative action prior to Initiative 200 in 1998. So do you think that space of, of history was equivalent to Jim Crow law, I guess? Um, probably not at the same level, but it's still the government sanctioned discrimination, give preferential treatment. What about the argument that there's some role for government, though, and, and this is the thrust of the affirmative action programs, to correct the historical wrong? The government, you know, I mean, maybe at the beginning, uh, when you ended the Jim Crow a half century ago, there were some brief period of the time that the, the government allowed the integration more, more diversity, and that probably play the role, but right now it's a half century already, and the society have already progressed. So, you know, to, to still view somebody based on their skin color and to be treating people differently, that's, and, that's wrong. And so you would say that at this point uh, in 2019, there is no um, sort of structural racism or, or structural disadvantage for certain people in, you know, in our systems? 
in the state? Not at the legislature, let the law level. I mean, if you, but see, there are there any individual discrimination? Obviously, yes. I mean, are there any, you know, uh, implementation level discrimination? I mean, yeah, it's, we're all human, but uh, I, I bet you, you find the law level like, uh, is there anybody got discriminated? At? That there's none. Okay? Well, but but the um, but the idea I th- I think of the um, of the initiative would be to try to address disparities as as they play out in reality and in practicality rather than address some discriminatory law that's on the books. Yeah, but you are using discrimination to address discrimination. Sure. I mean, ha- and where's the end? That's the crux of your argument for sure. Yeah. Um, Jim, you want to move you us know, along? You, I, I'm curious. So you, you kind of have, to have tried to make a distinction between affirmative action and preferences. Right. So I want to maybe tease that out a little bit. So what do you think is the appropriate role for state government, say, or for, for the University of Washington, if, if people are concerned about, or public schools, if they're concerned about disparate outcomes or disparate, you know, not enough people, color-owned businesses getting contracts, for example, public contracts? I think the state government, the, the government role should actually, you know, do their own diligent, enforce the current law of non-discrimination. The current law of land, the Washington Civil Rights Act, prohibit the government from discriminating or giving preferential treatment to anybody based on race and color, sex. So, you know, the fact that, you know, you now we're claiming, oh, there's unfairness and dis- discrimination happening. You know what? Somebody is not following the law. Why do you think this um, Initiative 1000 movement came about now in the year 2019 is it is it our broader political environment um when you when you saw it bubble up um you know with the support of multiple ex-governors republican governor dan evans democratic governor christine gregoire uh-huh. there's a big movement behind it why do you think yeah there was interesting timing because you know a lot of these people of course you know have felt the same way about this for for you know years and years uh yeah so why this year do you think it well i you know, for those ex-governors, uh, including Go- Governor Gary Locke, I mean, he's been vocal opponent of Initiative 200, I think, right? Back then, even back then, I remember uh, reading an article that he's a vocal opponent of that. And so he's been fighting against the Washington Civil Rights Act since uh, 1998. So, But only now did the... They- decide that the political time was ripe, I guess, to to come up, out and have an initiative again to repeal, you know, essentially initiative 200. Why, why do you, do you have any theory on why, why the, you know, is it is the age of Trump? What is it? Oh, I, I, I have no comment. With, okay. I mean, Trump has nothing to do with the Washington Civil Rights Act. Well, it just seems like he has something to do with everything these days. So well, I, just wonder. The, I mean, you know, there, there's a this so-called a political correctness environment here. I mean, people blaming anybody who disagree with them as Trump, uh, whatever. I mean, it's it's kind of a driving divisiveness. So, I, I mean, you know, just because we we are fighting for um, equality against preferential treatment, I mean, which disagree from 
our opponent, um, you, you shouldn't be putting us at, as a, you know a, any relation at the at the national level. No, I, I didn't mean to su- necessarily suggest that. I'm just wondering if the 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 hotness of our politics right now just makes everybody yeah. on, on, on each side try to achieve you know something that they might have thought was impossible a few years earlier. Right. So so in fact, that's the divisiveness that we we try to prevent. In fact, that's what we claim. Initially, one thousand, it's going to be divided people further, based on color, race and color. So that's why we want people to reject it. So uh, you know, you're part of the uh, the the campaign to vote no on the referendum, uh, and um, there's a campaign to vote yes. What, what's it feel like out there? Can you tell us a little bit about how your campaign is going about campaigning and what you're hearing? from uh, voters. Yeah, so our campaign had, as you know, we have two stages, right? The first stage is starting in May. That's when we were gathering, busy gathering signatures. So through the gathering signature process, we actually had the opportunity to reach out to very broad range of people from all walks of life across the states. I mean, we gather overwhelmingly 213,000 signatures, way more than the required 130,000 signatures required by the state. So, and then through the process, I mean, personally and our teammates, I mean, we met all kinds of people. I mean, people from a different race and color, ethnicity, background. So, yeah, they, they all signed our referendum. They want people to vote on that. Have you had to set aside your day job to, <laughs> to be doing this, or? Uh, somewhat, yeah. So, um, yeah. What, what is your line well, of work? Um, uh, I I'm a, a software engineer. I used to work for Microsoft. So okay. I, now I'm doing. I work from my home and doing my own software. Okay, business. that's a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you um. You know, I th- I feel like I sense that this may be in a, in some sense a repeat of what the campaign in 1998, when really the by and large the political establishment in the state, at least the Democratic political political sta- establishment, was united on on the one side and spent mm-hmm. a lot of money, and it seems like that's what's what's going on now. I haven't looked. I didn't look this morning. I didn't get a chance at with the PDC figures, but are you getting vastly outspent? Do you sense that you're an underdog in this, in that sense? Yeah, I mean, probably at the financial level, we're probably underdog. I mean, and also at the, um, you know, the support level, I mean, the big corporations, uh, big government agency heads, I mean, the ex-governors, they're all endorsing the other side. And then we are the mom and pop, you know, <laughs> grassroots. Uh, I mean, most of our donors, uh, they're I mean, very small donors, and then we have thousands of them. So yeah. So if you look at look at um, the the April public hearing, so we filled the rooms w- with like five rooms. Was this there, before the legislature voted on that? Yeah, ten days before they voted on that. So it was hundreds, and then it, yeah, it's the other side. I mean, they're all wearing suit, and then very I mean, established. I mean, they all have government connections. So, you know, you, you can see this is a really a fight between people and establishment. Uh, that's interesting. And, and what do you see the establishment, uh, as you describe it, as having to gain? If, if there's some kind of motive 
ulterior motive there. I don't know if you're even saying that, but what do you see the establishment as, as having to gain through um, I-1000 staying on the books? Uh, yeah, good question. I wouldn't say it's ulterior motivation, but, you know, the C, the what I can see they can gain is because their establishment, the bigger government power, the the much the much more power they get. So I mean, the head of agencies, the governor connection, the establishment. Um, you know, if you look at the section three, it's going to be have uh, the, the governor appointed commissions, which will oversee all the implementation of Initiative One Thousand. So we're talking about all the disparity study, all the follow-up, all the timetable, you know, it, it all going to cost money and then cost, uh, it's going to need staffing. So, I mean, then, you know, you're talking about a bigger and bigger power from the state government. Yeah, that's a uh, creation of a governor's commission on diversity, equity, and inclusion that looks like it would be a pretty large oversight body, essentially, uh, yeah. on yeah. these goals. I yeah. wanted to ask another question on the campaign side. There's been a lot of controversy on how the process ran for getting Initiative 1000, um, mm -hmm. given that, that that campaign spent a lot of money, uh -huh. or at least accrued a lot of debts, oh, yes. to paid right. signature gatherers, right. and then yeah. they there's now a lawsuit, I think, they didn't pay them. Right. Is so, that an issue that you're raising, or is that sort of just uh, in the past? You know, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, you know, recently we heard of there's a lawsuit against them for the for the for them to own they own their signature collector one point three million dollars. You know, particularly those are the people, uh, minority uh, veterans that they they actually specifically ask for hiring those group of people and then ended up not paying them. So it's So these are the paid signature gatherers on the ground that you'd see at the grocery stores. Right. And and their at least their their employers were not paid by the initiative campaign. Right. So the the, the campaign, the initiative one thousand campaign basically didn't pay their workers. I mean, you're talking about like last year during Thanksgiving, Christmas time, you know, it's all hard winter time they had to yeah we we were watching our, our side we were watching but yeah there are a lot of hard-working workers not getting paid so you know actually to contrast that our our campaign we actually we we pay all workers we don't owe our workers a single dime you used paid signature gatherers also yeah we also have to uh, had to use paid, paid signatures yeah they were paid all in full, in time. Um, you know, one of the uh, other sort of wrinkles in all of this, uh, and maybe we can get to this, you know, before we wrap up, um, in in this sort of uh, battle at the ballot, it, it has been sort of a conversation about what uh, would happen to veterans uh, under the new policy if it were to be upheld. And there's been some disagreement about that. Uh, what's your stance on that? Yeah, the, yeah, that's um, also a drawback of Initiative 1000. It would deny the veteran preferences in the new law. So Explain that. There's an existing preference of sorts yeah. in state government where they can try to hire yes. veterans. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, there are, there are several sections of lo the law, the current law, actually specifically give preferences to veterans. 
So, and then this I-1000 will basically strike those out. Well, do you, do you support preferential treatment for veterans? Yes, I support the preferences for veterans because veteran status is something they, they earned with their blood and sweat. They served this country and not something they were born with. It's different from the race, sex, and uh, ethnicity. That's not something that you could possibly change. I, I know that the proponents of Initiative 1000 really don't agree that this is the case. And in uh-huh. fact, there have been some law professors who have looked at the text of the initiative and said, I think Hugh Spitzer at the University of Washington, for example, has said uh-huh. it really, it actually wouldn't affect that. It wouldn't necessarily strike down existing veterans' preferences. I should note in the text of the initiative, uh-huh. 1000, it actually, it talks about honorably discharged veterans as a uh, a category who can be considered for preferential treatment along with age, Actually sexual not. orientation. So so if you read it, by adding the veteran status into the category, you're not, you're, the government is prohibited from, from giving preferential treatment based on your veteran status if the veteran status is your sole factor, right? Remember, they redefine the preferences only if it's a sole factor. But now we already have, the current law is if you have veterans as a sole factor, you are preferred. So that, that's the denial of reference preferences. So basically, you know, it's uh, by adding the veteran status into this uh, race and color, ethnicity, it's a whole bunch of a basket of categories. You drastically reduce the veteran status preferences. Okay. Well, I know that yeah. Hugh Spitzer on the other side would disagree. I don't. Uh, you and know, also I, the public hearing. So if you uh, the nonpartisan some veterans groups came out against it, right? No. In fact, the the nonpartisan uh, the staff of the in the public hearing, she gave out the statement said hmm. that Is, so the you, the April public hearing you were referring yeah, to April eighteenth. Okay. Uh, I believe it's uh, April eight. Um, April eighteen, or there's a. There's a, another committee meeting. It's mm-hmm. a, in the House committee meeting, and then the the yeah. the s- committee staff specifically spell out that uh, yes, there will be removal of veterans uh, preferences. So okay. you well, can yeah, go check. Our, our, our very um, smart, diligent listeners could actually go and I think look up those hearings and yeah. look at the material. It's a confusing <laughs> yeah. initiative, and that's why we want yeah. people to reject it. Okay. Right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Dan. That's all for episode 113 of The Overcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Khan Chu, of the Reject Referendum 88 campaign. Thanks to KNKX for having us in the studio to record again. If you support the locally owned independent journalism that makes this podcast possible, go to Seattle Times slash support to subscribe. You can reach us on Twitter at dbeekman at Jim underscore Bruner with feedback. Uh, You can email us at cltimesovercast at gmail.com. And until next time, have a cloudy day. (laughs) 